0: Want to know a secret? Promise not to tell? It's a brand new episode of Doing Disney as we go all the way back to the first feature film with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. (laughs) Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go because Hakuna Matata and the bare Necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to Doing Disney. This week I'm joined by my very special guest, Mr. Andrew Barr. Andrew, thank you for joining me today.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I can't wait.
0: Start at the beginning. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, released in 1937. It is the first full-length animated feature film winning Walt Disney an honorary Oscar for achievement. It stars Adriana Casalotti as Snow White. Lucille Laverne as the evil queen, Roy Atwell as Doc, and Disney staple Pinto Colvig as Grumpy. It opens with the queen speaking to her magic mirror, as she asks the now famous question, who is the fairest one of all? While the mirror has always told the queen it is indeed her, this time it tells her it is Snow White, who the queen has forced to be a scullery maid in an attempt to hide her beauty. We see Snow White cleaning the steps of the castle and fetching water from her wishing well, singing about her wish for love. The prince stumbles upon her and proclaims he has one song, only for her. Seeing that Snow White is now the fairest in the land, the queen orders the huntsman to kill Snow White and return her heart in an ornate box. The huntsman is unable to bring himself to complete the task and urges Snow White to flee the land as the queen desperately wants her dead. Lost in the woods, her spirits are raised by woodland creatures who help her to find a cottage. The cottage belongs to seven dwarfs who mine for gemstones nearby, Returning home and finding Snow White fast asleep, she awakens and is welcomed to the home as she offers to keep house for them. The queen finds out that it was not Snow White's heart returned to her and transforms herself into an old hag to trick Snow into taking a bite from a poison apple that will cause the sleeping death. When the dwarves leave for work, the disguised queen tempts Snow White into taking a bite and she falls fast asleep. Warned by the woodland creatures, the dwarves chase the queen onto the cliffs as a lightning bolt crashes, causing her to fall. Snow White is placed in a glass coffin, watched over by the dwarves and the woodland creatures, until one day the prince arrives, kisses her with love's first kiss, and breaks the spell as they go off to the prince's castle to live happily ever after. Tale as old as time. I had to have you on for this episode, because one day we just ended up talking about Snow White. So, two questions. What are your first memories of the film? And then what draws you to the film, in a broad sense?
1: So... Whenever I would go to my Nana's house, she had this this small little drawer of VHS tapes. And so whenever my parents and my grandparents were basically, like, you know, catching up and talking and all that, my brother and I would just kind of go through all these VHS tapes. Um, They were all Disney movies, except for one was The Wrong Trousers And the other one, oddly enough, was Hot Shots Part Deux, but we can talk about that uh, at another time. Uh, I watched that movie way too early. But Snow White and the Seven Dwarves was one of those VHS tapes. So I saw this a lot as a kid. And I think the thing that just kind of keeps pulling me back to it is the, the art of it. Like, it still looks beautiful. Like, yeah, some of the animation doesn't hold up, but a lot of it really does. Because there was just something that Walt Disney was able to obtain in, like, the fluidity of motion. It's weird because, like, whenever you see, like, the wind or water or anything like that, it just has this natural, like, the essence to it, which is just really beautifully, uh, beautiful visually. And it's just one of those things that it it's just the sheer beauty of the animation that keeps drawing me back to this one.
0: I have very similar thoughts and feelings. The, the feat of animation and what they're able to capture in 1937, to hear that this was originally called Disney's Folly, you know, because making this as the first feature animation film it just looks so good. They, they, they know, that's what it was like widely regarded as, you know, like the critics in the oh. papers. It was like, this is Disney's folly. He's got too big for this, you know. No one thought he was going to pull it off and that it was going to bomb. So just to see how much beauty there to the catcher. As you said, some of the face work, like the prints don't look great, but right. the evil queen and all the animation of the dwarves and everything is beautiful. So um, for me, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs isn't one of my childhood favourites. I didn't have it on VHS, didn't have the DVD, Don't very very rarely remember seeing it. Um, So my first watch would, proper watch would be 2017 when we did the um, full spreadsheet New Year's resolution. We're going to watch every Disney movie and own them and grow the collection. And so it kicks off with this one. So I remember January 2017, this was my first proper sit-down watch through. But... With films like this, there's so many parts you already know just from pop culture osmosis. Like you've seen oh, so many of the key scenes. It's, and some of the quotes like um, mirror, mirror on the wall is the Luke, I am your father. It's like that most yeah. famous misquoted one, but everyone knows it and knows what you're referencing.
1: The other one I have, I have to point out since you brought up misquotes is yeah. I thought for the longest time, this, the way to break the spell was true love's kiss.
0: Uh, and it's
1: uh, love's first kiss, and I it blew my hits. mind on rewatch.
0: I picked that up the other day as well. I was like, I've got to get that out of my head because that's you getting <laughs> Sleeping Beauty, Snow White mixed up then. But um, watching that for the first time, 2017, it's one, already in a few years, I've rewatched three or four times now. I've really kept going back to it because I found it very enjoyable, and I'm just an absolute sucker for any Disney film that opens on the. Big title card, swelling music, the Disney chorus, and then it opens with a storybook. Any Disney film that opens with a storybook has my heart. It's, it's fantastic.
1: I wish they would still do that, honestly.
0: And this Watching this makes me miss the 2D animation really badly. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favourite part because you'll see. So, Andrew, what's your favourite part of the film? So my favorite part of the film
1: is uh, the transformation of the queen. It's just this incredible animation. Like, just the way that you see this character just completely morph and shift. Like, the animation of that is so incredibly impressive. Even for today's standards, that's like... Honestly, the best thing I can compare it to is the transformation scene in an American werewolf in London, where you see the body part like morphing in front of your eyes, but it's so seamless that it's genuinely terrifying. Plus just the the music in the background and just like the crashing thunder and lightning creates this incredibly tense and horrifying atmosphere. Like... We just watched an entire song sequence about washing your hands and face. And then we go straight into that. And it's just one of those scenes where you watch it and you're just in awe of the animation.
0: Oh, I 100% agree. This is my favorite scene as well. Hands down, it's the Evil Queen transformation scene. But I tend to go the little bit before that is the part I like. So I've always loved fantasy and witchcraft. So seeing this woman, sweep her cloak up, go down those stone stairs into this like hidden super secret laboratory. Oh, I love it. The scenery of the lair is so rich and dense. There's that raven sitting on top of the skull. There's all the dusty old tomes and grimoires and there's like magic happening here. So when she's actually making the potion, that's what I love the most. She pulls from the shelf her peddler's disguise book busts it open it's those big old pages and it's the spell books where it's like just the ingredients listed you know it's not a recipe book it's just simple simple lines there so Mm -hmm. adding all the different ingredients she starts pouring to the scoblet mummy's dust to make me old I was about to say like the ingredient
1: list itself is so creative and like what 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 was one of them like the cackle of a witch or something like that
0: yep so black of night for the cloak and then as she adds hag's cackle for the voice and she exactly. turns on this Bunsen beaker that starts bubbling and this bright orange liquid distills into the glass as it's cackling. Instead of steaming, it's cackling. It's so great. It's very Atmos family-esque in a weird sense, like mm-hmm. in that's so bizarre, but it works because the next bit is um, a scream of fright. And she turns turns the little thing in this, ah, and the little ghost steam of ghosts pops out. A gust of wind to fan my hate. That is poetry. I love it. That's yeah, something it someone would write on Twitter or Tumblr or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the Thunderbolt to mix it well. And as you said, the sound effects in the scene are so good, that crackling lightning and those huge big gusts of wind and just the billowing of a cloak and, and, and into the transformation mm-hmm. scene, as you said. Oh, it's so well done.
1: That That's something that... I was really impressed by on this rewatch was the sound effects of this Mm -hmm. movie. Like it is so impressive and so creative, the noises that they would create, especially for that scene. It's just so crisp and clear and upfront and just really builds the world and the atmosphere.
0: Christmas as you said absolutely so we see the transformation is that you see the hair go wide and those those um fingers get drawn out and she becomes you just see the hunched in the shadows and you get that turn to the screen and this is her evil hag disguise and she makes the the sleeping death spell because it's also no, it's not called poison apple it's called nope. sleeping death and you get what's probably one of the most establishing shots in any Uh, from animation is when the villain looks straight at the screen straight at the audience and you get the fade to black with just the evil eyes remaining on screen for that extra second it's cliche to this point but i love it
1: me too that's (laughs) one of my favorite tropes in animation it really is (laughs) that and the scene and that in the moment where she's like underneath the trap door and she's just cackling
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and how many uh, gifts came from this film? I can't believe it. Gifts and memes. This film is a goldmine for it. It really is,
1: actually. <laughs> I've used that cackling <laughs> gift like, a lot.
0: Because we both picked the same scene, is there any other scene you want to touch on briefly? Did you have any other runner-ups or anything else that stands out? Uh, Honestly,
1: our runner-up was the dwarves chasing the, the queen. Nice. Yeah, because it's just, once again, it's the animation and the music just creating this in, incredible tension and atmosphere, all of the animals running up and chasing along with the dwarves. It just creates this, this intensity. If it was if, you know if it was just the dwarves, there would still be that tenseness. But when you add that giant swarm of animals that are right behind them, it really does like, create this feeling inside of you. And especially when you add the two vultures that are just watching down the entire time because they know that they're going to get something. They don't know who it is, but they know it's going to be something. And the way that the queen dies is just so smart because they could have just had, like, the traditional, like, oh, I fell um, or, oh, I got crushed by a rock. But a bolt of lightning hits the ground in front of her and creates the entire like section of the mountain that she's on to fall. It's not like she just kind of tripped and went, oh, but it's literally nature taking its course. And I think that's just a brilliant move.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree that there's something about the animals going to tell the dwarves and creating that sense of urgency and you get right. that and it's it's more chaotic because, um, if, as you said, the dwarves alone would have been fine but when you have all those animals you've got like the fluttering of wings and then you've got the land animals so everyone's really creating this frenzy to go save Snow White and I 100% agree that the way they kill the queen so to speak it's like it's not the protagonist doing it no one's getting their hands Sally. they're going to capture it it's as you said nature taking its course or the queen getting her comeuppance using Mm -hmm. that thunderbolt to make that potion and then she gets taken out by a thunderbolt Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah it's it's great
1: i can't remember what it's called but it's just that little moment of karma just sneaking Mm -hmm. right back up on her
0: Mm -hmm. and and as you said those vultures like it is grim that that is her that is her (laughs) (laughs) fate you ain't never had a friend like me so who's your favorite character from the film
1: i don't want to be basic but it's absolutely it's grumpy cuz not only can i kind of connect to him you see me on screen and i'm like bubbly and like personality but like there are days where i am i am just grumpy but it's also just like he is the main source of comedy in this movie. Like, Dopey's there and he's he's got his moments, but Grumpy is the one that the comedy really comes from, in my opinion. And it's because he's kind of the one that everyone kind of, like, kicks around, in so... a sense. And it's just, my favorite thing about this movie is the back and forth between him and Snow White is actually, like, really great because he's the one dwarf that she really bounces off of she like that's when her personality really shines because she can get salty (laughs) when it comes to him but there is a lot of layers to him because he genuinely does care he genuinely wants to keep her safe he genuinely likes having her around even though he pretends that he doesn't and it's just he's the one character that i get the most depth from and i think that's what makes him really interesting
0: oh i'm just it's a audio podcast but i'm giving you so many thumbs up because you're just echoing exactly what i've got in my notes (laughs) (laughs) Um, as you said characters are a little tricky in this film because it's the first full-length animated movie so that's the feat you know it's not character growth and character development the characters are painted very broadly and it's also an animated storybook in a sense So you're not going into motives and things like that as much. Um, No screenwriter is sitting there going, we need to give Snow White more agency. You know, that's not happening.
1: Nope. Mm -hmm.
0: But as you said, Grumpy and Snow's interactions is the most growth and change we see in the film. and, And that's fine. Um, of course, he's immediately suspicious of her. I love his quotes. They're super outdated, but it just makes me chuckle. That it's, <laughs> it's just, women, they're poison. They use their wicked wiles. You know, it's, it's great because as he's the only dwarf not completely enamored with her from the start. So you get that bit of push and pull, which is good. And as you said, she is so salty when she's picking out all the different dwarf, dwarf names and she goes, oh, you must be grumpy. Oh, <laughs> so good.
1: Yeah. My favorite moment of their interactions is um, him. Uh, he, he's like huffing and puffing his way towards like the wash basin and, and he like walks into the door and, and immediately she goes, oh, did you hurt yourself?
0: <laughs> but it's incredibly sweet that at night when she prays, I just want Grumpy to like me. I think that's mm-hmm. such an important line to put in the film because it just shows the well-roundedness of a character and that she is aware aware of things and and just builds that relationship a bit so that the next morning when everyone's going off to work and everyone's getting their kiss before work he like dollies himself up in the mirror and makes himself look nice and has to walk out and pretend that he doesn't care but you get that scene where he turns back around and he's almost blushing and just so excited that he got his kiss from snow and she's the one that she's baking the pie like he's baking she's baking the pie for him and it pays off in the end when You see how much he really did end up caring for her when they go to rescue her and how affected he is when they're surrounded by the the glass coffin. So Grumpy is a a great choice.
1: Arguably, he's the one who's sobbing.
0: Oh, yeah. For me, uh, the evil queen is probably my favorite, but I'm going to wait and talk about her more um, when we chat. How evil is the villain? Because we can... I got a whole big paragraph on her. So I I didn't think we would bring it up because I think... You do go to the dwarves. You know, the the dwarves are probably the more interesting part of the film, but let's talk snow because sometimes I do skip over the protagonists on the podcast because they can be a bit straightforward and we're on the journey with them where it's the side characters we interact on the way can tend to be a bit more interesting. So Mm -hmm. for the longest time I was under the impression she was quite bland and a little bit boring, but Mm -hmm. she's very sweet and there's nothing wrong with that. She's sweet and she's playful and she's weirdly charmingly confident. Like mm-hmm. she manages to pick herself up when she's lost in the forest. She's like, "Oh, I'm sorry for all the fuss I've made." Like there's resilience to her, which I said you can't look from like a 2022 standard, but there are things in there that you can pick out. And she can be very perceptive and assertive when she's cleaning the house and she's directing the animals and she directs the dwarfs. No supper, bu- no supper before washing. Like she can be confident. So I think she's a she's a fine protagonist. Yeah, I think that she's good. I think
1: that the writing is a little inconsistent for her because sometimes I think you're right. And she absolutely has that confidence. Um, and she has this, the, this, this poise that comes directly from that sincerity that she has. And then other times it's kind of, yeah, it is kind of bland. It is kind of just like a little predictable. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that she's a bad character at all because the thing I like about most early Disney movies, especially when it comes to their female protagonist, is that they're genuine. They're yes. genuine. They're kind. Their strength comes from their kindness, yes. and they're just their their love of other people, um, or creatures. Um, so I like Snow White. I, I just wish he was a little bit more consistent writing wise, but that's, once again, that it was the first time this was ever done. It, as you, it was a storybook, as you said, where the imagery really does carry a lot of the weight. So yeah. I kind of understand.
0: Let's touch on the other dwarves. So the dwarves are very endearing. And as I said, they're painted very broadly, the personalities and the name, but the physical comedy you get is something I was very surprised by. So when they're entering the house and they're there as a group and they're looking around and something's changed and just uh, the motion of, of them is, is so well done. You get the, the moment with um, you don't get much speaking parts for sleepy, sneezy and bashful, but you get the comedic bits and interact action with them. So I think it's good. I've always leaned towards doc, I think he's like the de facto leader. And even though he might jumble his words, he's clearly the most logical and pragmatic of the group. And those are the characters I tend to be quite drawn to. And of course, Dopey is like a Disney staple. He's one of those classic characters that is emblematic of the brand. you know, really goes outside the film. You you see him on the merchandise and being representative of Disney. In a similar way, you see sort of Tinkerbell. What are your thoughts on the dwarfs? I I think that
1: when when you think of... um grumpy and dopey they're the two kind of outliers which is i think why they're the ones that have become so emblematic of uh of like disney's merchandise and all the things like that i do really and i think you brought it up it's the physical comedy that they present like the scene where they're fighting over the pillow (laughs) is so great and just like the little ways that you differentiate them i think if I'm not mistaken, one has a longer beard, uh, just ever so slightly. Is it, and it might be bashful. Sleepy
0: has the longest. Oh,
1: it might be. It, it might be bashful because he's the one who's like constantly like,
0: mm.
1: like, sho- like shoving over his face, <laughs> just like where they sleep when Snow White's in all of their beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the other thing is just their their faces are just so well animated, like you can tell what's going through their mind in that instant, especially right before the hand washing scene where they're like mm-hmm, recently <laughs> and i think the the best use of their animation is i don't remember the name of the song um but i think it's just silly song the silly or something song? like that yes yeah like that is the moment that they all get to shine when it comes to like their comedy
0: yeah, and you can see, like, which dwarf plays which instrument and who sings, so you get even, like, more personality from that, I think, as well. So you see, like, mm-hmm. Sleepy just kicking back and playing his, his flute or his pipe and things like that and Docks with the double bass and who dances and you get that classic moment of, I think it's Dopey standing on Sneezy in the coat dancing with snow. Yeah. So yeah. it's great. Especially
1: when, especially when he shoots Dopey out of the top like a rocket.
0: <laughs> one song. I have put one song. So, Andrew, what's your favourite song from the film? I,
1: once again, I don't want to be basic. Because <laughs> there are three songs in this that I do really love a lot. The Silly Song. Mm-hmm. I think it's called, like, "What I Have But One Song. The one that the prince sings.
0: After I'm Wishing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That song is beautiful. I think that one gets slept on a lot. But it's hot ho. Like the song leading, like the part leading into the part that everyone knows as well, just like the the we dig, 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 Mm -hmm. dig, dig, dig. Just structurally, that song is just all over the place, but it's brilliant. The melody is just incredibly memorable, but it's kind of, it really does build the characters uh, because you get a good feel for who these characters are during the song. But it's also just this upbeat cheeriness of we're going home. We get to go home after a long day of work. That's great. Yeah, that I think that Hi-Ho is, there's a reason that it's probably the best known song from this movie. Um, Even though I would say, once again, arguably there's three great choices. Uh, I hope I... Pick one of the ones that you were going to. Oh God, no. Oh no.
0: (laughs) My choice is even more basic, I think. But with Hi Ho, I agree. This is the more popular one. As I was saying with um Mirror Mirror on the Wall, this is one where you could say to someone, Hi Ho, they know what you talk about, even if they haven't seen the film, because that's just um, become a bit of an iconic catch and jingle for works done. And Mm -hmm. I like how it's paired with the scenery, because that shot of them walking over the log in the sunset's beautiful. So seeing them whistling on their way home is great the songs in the film what surprises me the most is how much of a musical it really makes me feel in the sense that we do use songs to introduce characters set scenes express emotions and there's a lot of times one song would just lead straight into the other which I was very surprised about so you do get an abundance of uh, like it reminds it reminds me of merry melody sort of skits or things like that like some of the scenes so the with a smile and the song of her in the forest like I can see that being or um whistle while you work in the house I could see that being its own little short if that makes sense mm-hmm. so it's almost like they're stringing these shorts together we get so much of Adriana Casalotti and her beautiful operatic voice her voice is stunning um mm-hmm. the choice for me is really clear it's going to be someday my prince will come that's
1: yeah, that's
0: <laughs> uh, it. For me, it's a top tier Disney song. One day I'll make myself do a top 50, but this makes it easily easy. As I said, I didn't grow up with the film, but I did have the five CD script CD greatest hits collection. And so this is one that even without watching and enjoying the film, I would play the song. So this is the song I, I, that even drew me back to watching the film. So I was excited mm-hmm. to be able to see, see this again. Uh, I love that you start off once there was a princess it's all like you're getting that story within the story which is so cute and you have the dwarves interacting with with it was the princess you like oh it's just great it's not even the melody part of the song that I like the most it's just that that intro and then of course she starts into the he was so romantic and I'm not even going to try because that's proper opera beautiful big soaring notes but <laughs> it's the big romantic song of the film it's borderline the I wanted the song of the film because you've already got you're carrying on from I'm wishing at the beginning mm-hmm. with the well which and the and the one song so you're singing sing Snow sing about her dreams and and as you said it's the the gentleness and the trueness of character of these early Disney princesses which is so it just it makes it endearing to her
1: mm-hmm.
0: that makes yeah. it that makes it endearing to Snow so you
1: really do connect to her in that moment
0: yeah and it's of that classic era as I said I love these early 30s 40s 50s movies with the sweeping score makes me so Mm -hmm. happy with the swelling of violins. swelling violins is my favorite in anything so Mm -hmm. it's just it's timeless and it's untouchable for me
1: absolutely I understand that there's something about just As you said, the music of early Disney, it's got this sweeping orchestral grace to it. There's an ease to it. It doesn't feel like it's it's trying too hard. It just, it sticks with the beauty of the melody or it creates a character. It does one of those two things and every time it does it incredibly well.
0: Yeah, they're just able to punctuate the mood and really play off the beauty of the scenery as well. I think it punctuates that a lot. So yeah, Mm -hmm. the music, beautiful.
1: Oh, especially during like the forest scene. Yes. music in that is just perfect.
0: Listen well, all of you. What is your favourite quote from the film?
1: So that one was difficult.
0: Yes. This is usually the hard category.
1: Yeah, but especially for for this movie because a lot of the dialogue isn't necessarily memorable except like the whole uh, mirror mirror um, like little soliloquy kind of thing but I ended up picking and you had actually touched on this one a little bit earlier in the episode it's um, it's the back and forth between Grumpy and Bashful at one point when they first spy Snow White uh grumpy says angel ha huh? she's a female and all females are poison they're full of wicked wiles what are wicked wiles i don't know but i'm against them.
0: <laughs> oh, such a great
1: moment i love that so much
0: i laughed so hard when i watched that the other day because it still rings true today it's like i'm completely against this thing but why i don't know <laughs> like that's, that's happening because i've heard it's bad because i think i'm scared of something foreign and new so it's but, like cooties yeah exactly no that's a great one i do like that one uh the first one i've got is actually the first line of the film so we see the evil queen say slave in the magic mirror come from the farthest space through wind and darkness i summon thee speak let me see thy face Because even when I rewatched it, I always think the first line is magic mirror on the wall, but it's not. You get that little first part of of the soliloquy, as you said, and you need it to set the scene because it's also where you're seeing the evil queen stand in front of the mirror solo. You don't see any magic mirror face yet and sweep her arms up. So when she's saying through wind and darkness, which really seem to be her her moments, her theme, it's it's great. It's swelling, and the way that she is able to punctuate those words is fantastic. So you're really seeing um, a spell and magic start happening. So the wording is evocative in through farther space. That's the bit I love the most. So you know that these are like forces we don't know what we're dealing with. So I think that line is is tops.
1: I yeah, that's that's what I was considering. Um, I'm a big Edgar Allan Poe fan, and it just really reminded me of not only his imagery, but like of the meter, Mm -hmm. Uh, like just like where the emphasis in the dialogue is. And it just creates this rhythmic pattern that's just so pleasant to the ears, even though there's an underlying bubbling darkness to them. And um, yeah, most of her dialogue was a contender for me. That one in particular was just great.
0: We even get a raven throughout the film, so how's that? Oh,
1: my God. <laughs> Full circle.
0: Uh, the other quote I have comes from the dwarves when, someone, when they discover that someone has cleaned the house. So Doc starts with, the floor swept and then the chair's dusted. Our window's been washed. Our cobwebs are missing. Then, sneak, <laughs> our cobwebs, then the Sneezy pipes up with my favourite bit. The sink's empty. Hey, someone stole our dishes. <laughs> They ain't stolen, they've been put back in the cupboard. So that just sums up the dwarves and how they've been living and their thought process. So I think that's a that's a good way into how they've been living, how they've been thinking, uh, and a good entry more level into um the dead character.
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) The cobwebs are missing was my favorite part of that. The
0: cobwebs are missing.
1: Cobwebs are missing. Do you
0: have any other contenders?
1: The lyrics of I Have But One Song are, I think, the best lyrics in the movie. So there were a couple from that song that I had considered. Other than that, and like, a, as I said, a lot of the Queen's dialogue, not really. Except for the one that I can think of off the top of my head now is, and I'm gonna butcher and I'm gonna paraphrase this, I, I know it. But it's when she's, the Queen's talking to the Huntsman mm-hmm. and basically says, I want you to bring her heart back in this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a great moment. Like, she doesn't even say what this is. It just leads to this imagery. Mm-hmm. And I think the build-up to that box is just a really smart move.
0: This is your Badness level. Well, that perfectly leads into... Let's talk about the Evil Queen. How All bad right. is the villain?
1: This one is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Because the reason I say that is her motivation is kind of weak. But it's the extremes that she takes which make her a great villain. Like her motivation is to be the most beautiful person in the land. That's it. She's just a jealous. She's just jealous. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that she is so willing to go to these like levels of extremity. Like, I want you to kill her and bring her heart back in this box. Or I'm going to literally transform myself to trick this person and make them sleep forever, basically burying her alive. It's so great. And my favorite moment that just, this is the moment that the queen, her real personality really does come out. It's when she's already turned into the hag. And she's running down the stairs and she passes by this one skeleton that's reaching for like a jug. And she, and she's basically like, oh, you thirsty? Have this. And she kicks the jug into the skeleton. And that's the moment where I'm like, oh, this is who you really are. You were poised and tr- like holding it back to begin with. Now you're just really reveling in your evilness. Yeah, once again, Kind of a weak motivation, but the extremes that she goes to make her a great villain.
0: Okay, I'm happy to get into the motivations. So what I love about Disney films is that they give us villains either just as interesting or more so than the hero. And it really does start here where the evil queen's almost as big a part of the film as Snow White, even though you see her for much, much less, but her presence is there throughout and the scenes she's in um, really carry throughout the film. So there's so much Disney merchandise nowadays, and mm. the Evil Queen being the first is maybe more of a symbol than being a great villain, because as I said, we don't get much of her. So we get to open the film, and Lucille Laverne, oh, that that voice is everything. The way Perfect. she she punctuates the words, the bitingness of which she says it is is fantastic. So every time she uses the, the booming voice when she does a spell and the way she makes it down into her hag's cackle when she's transformed at the end, just, just the range is great. Um, I will say growing up, this this wasn't my villain. I love Sleeping Beauty, so I'm Maleficent girl. So Evil Queen always felt like a second rate Maleficent. But and- uh, <laughs> yeah, because you don't, as, as I said, you don't get as much depth from the Queen. And, and as you touched on, like, It is a wildly overblown response to being not pretty.
1: (laughs) Hey, look, you're the second most beautiful person (laughs) in this land.
0: I don't want that! Well, well, now I start to empathize a little more growing up because (laughs) maybe not with the child murder, not with the cutting out of the hearts, not with the poisoning, not down for that. But we see throughout the film she's described as vain. So she's experiencing losing what you've always prided yourself on. And in this mm-hmm. case, it's beauty. So not being youthful anymore, being jealous of other people, youth is wasted on the young, not being desirable anymore, putting others down to make yourself feel better, where we see her dress snow white in rags just to make her more ugly, just so she can feel better. So yes, it's showing the most extremes, but you can read into those motivations and there are human thoughts and feelings behind it. If, if you so choose to dig that little bit deeper and look at it from that, that point of view, but it is... Very broad. It is a storybook. It is the hitting you over the head with the morals type deal.
1: No, and I think you made a really excellent point behind that. The, the one other thing I do want to point out is that she also has a reputation across the land, mm-hmm. because the moment that the dwarves hear that snow, like, that, the queen's looking for Snow White, literally just panic runs yep. through their body. She and does witchcraft. Like, yeah. And they're like, they know about her. There is like this lore around her in this world. And just to have that kind of fear around you Mm. is such an interesting thing because a lot of the time, especially now, most of the Disney villains now are surprise villains. True. Twist
0: villains. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's a lot of twist villains now. And with this movie not only do you know that she's evil, everyone knows that she's evil.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Even our protagonist, which, as you said, isn't always well-known nowadays. Like, even if you know Mother Gothel's evil in Rapunzel, to Rapunzel, it's mum. So it is still a bit of a twist or surprise that this person I care for is, is evil, whereas from the get-go, Snow's got to know... Well, she does. She's trying to kill me. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, The other thing I found really interesting was surrounding yourself with yes men and people who will tell you only what you want to hear in the Mm -hmm. sense that she's seeking that affirmation in self-reflection and in a mirror and i find that extremely poignant for nowadays with what happens with smartphones instagram all that sort of thing that is almost like looking in a magic mirror and seeing do you want to be the prettiest do you want to be the best at this and there's this one bitchy moment i absolutely love the magic mirror she says, alas, she is more fair. And the evil queen just crosses her arms and says, alas for her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am loving the joy that you got out of that line. That is great.
0: I need to use that more nowadays. That's what I would be like. Alas for her.
1: <laughs> yes, you do. I'm, I'm going to use that at work tomorrow and I don't know where, but I will.
0: Thank you think, me too. But, um... On a villain scale, it's definitely pretty up there. I mean, forcing someone to commit murder for no reason other than she's prettier than you. And as, as we've said many times, the, the extremes. It, it's probably like a 9.5, only giving it slightly less than a 10 because I think a 10 is reserved for like world domination and mass like slaughtering. So uh-huh. having it out for only one child, maybe a bit weak. So a 9.5 <laughs> is for me, but absolutely horrific. What would you give it?
1: Um, So, I was originally going to give this uh, a bit of a lower score than what I'm giving it now, but Mm. genuinely, the way that you described her really does increase my opinion on her as a villain. Mm. Um, So, I'm going to give her an 8.5.
0: Nice. Practically perfect in every way. Any random thoughts? Any wrap-up? Anything we didn't touch on? I think
1: honestly I, I want to talk more about that forest scene because just yes. the way that the animation team was able to its use of shadows is so good. Like that's something that we don't really get a lot anymore especially with 3D animation is like this, the dark colors that you can create with 2d animation and just the way that they're able to create this chaos and this this sense of questioning your own reality because like when she sees the logs in the water and they suddenly morph right into alligators or crocodiles or whatever they are in that moment and the way that like At the towards the end, you see all of these eyes just staring at her, and then it starts to brighten up a little bit, and then you find out it's literally just the forest critters. It's just such a brilliant use of shadows, and color, and wind, and like sound and music to create this almost house of mirrors esque kind of horror.
0: Oh, I agree. That scene, um, you're usually seeing the the evil trees, the spooky trees scene. But mm-hmm. as you said, it was the log and the crocodiles. Like, that's really clever. Like, that's taking it out of just not just the trees in the forest, like, that's bringing it to everywhere. And as you said, the um having the animals come out the end and the light of the dark of the tunnel and use of color. I miss classic 2D animation like this, where the backdrops were works of art within themselves, like this Sleeping Beauty Cinderella. I, I miss that, that depth of, of colour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like, the, as, as we've been touching on, the, the feat of motion and how smooth it was. Let's talk the animation and the dancing scenes, because we know that it gets recycled nowadays. So,
1: yeah,
0: yep, throughout the 60s, it broke my heart when I realised it. I love Robin Hood and it's probably one of the more egregious ones. So you get so many of the, they've just um, really taken the silly song dance scenes in in particular and and repurposed it. So it all kicks off from here, but it's still beautiful.
1: (laughs) Well, especially the detail in that piece Mm. is like when you see Grumpy playing the organ and you see the actual pipes, like the actual detail in that is utterly phenomenal. And you're right, just like the, the backdrops, like when you first see the dwarves' cabin, it's this beautiful like landscape piece. And it's just a visual marvel, Like especially for 1937.
0: Yeah, when you think of all like the hand paint ink that had to go into that and the way they mm-hmm. had to actually craft it and the four-year process it took to make a, a film, it's it's incredible, it's a touchstone of film. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, what's your final score for the film?
1: So, uh, my final score for the film would probably be a seven point five. That I is mine a- too. This is why we're best friends. This um, is it. Right here. Yeah, the strengths outweigh the weaknesses, even though there are some weaknesses. Like the the worst scene in this is the wash, like the song about washing your hands is superfluous. Just- yeah. Yeah it was unnecessary um, and it wasn't even that good of a song compared to all no. the other ones. Um, but as I said, the highs of this piece are so high that they just balance out the the weaker parts.
0: Uh, I absolutely agree with everything you're saying. It, it's, it's the the feat and the marvel of what the film's able to achieve. So as as we've been saying, you might not get that character depth and growth in, in the writing, but the visuals and the emotion and feeling that you're getting from it, there's there's still something to be said for these older Disney films that that are just sweet and easy to watch. You might get a few good morals in there, but it's just entertaining. It's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining me today. Love to have you back anytime.
1: Honestly, I would love to be back anytime. Like, you just, you call me and I will be like, (laughs) what time, when, and where.
0: (laughs) Okay. Until next time. Bye.
1: And when you come to the end,
0: (laughs) stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Podcast.